We are in a series titled Origin Stories, studying the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Last week we looked at that tragic moment in history when Adam and Eve decided that they were better off disobeying God. That fateful choice uh, brought into our world sin and death. Today we're going to be looking at the consequence of sin in our relationships because it has damaged our relationships terribly. The story of the great temptation and that fateful fall is told in Genesis chapter 3 verses 1 through 6. That was last week. And I want to start today with the verse that comes right before that story. Chapter 2, verse 25, because it reminds us of just how much we have lost with sin. The last thing Moses tells us before talking about the deception and the choice to sin is this, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is a picture of just how good it was relationally before there was sin. You've never experienced that. You might have tasted a bit of it, and I pray God that you do in Christ Jesus, but you've never experienced relationship like that. But we can have it again in Jesus. For those of us who are in Christ, that is our future, and empowered by the Holy Spirit, we can gain a lot of that Back. But think of what that was like. The man and his wife were naked and unashamed. They saw each other as they really were, and they were okay. They were happy with themselves. They were happy with each other. They were happy with God. There was no hiding. There was no fear. There was no conflict. It was this is me, and I know that you know me fully, and you love me truly, and it's great. And then sin came. And the very first thing that the Bible does after telling us about Adam and Eve's choice to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is it immediately zeroes in on the relational consequence. So open your Bible, if you would, to Genesis chapter 3. Verse 7, as, as soon as we read about Eve took and ate and gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate, we read this, then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And then it talks about God coming into the garden, and they hid from God. You see, sin brings shame, and shame goes and hides. And sin damages all our relationships because it, it, it causes us to want to hide, hide from ourselves, hide from each other, hide from God, and it just damages our relationships. But the good news is that in Christ Jesus, so much restoration is possible. 
Verse 8, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? God, of course, knew where Adam was. He was giving him an opportunity to come into the light, confess what he had done. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, Yes, I did, and I take full responsibility. Forgive me. <laughs> nope. The man said, the woman whom you gave to me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Sin damages our relationships by causing us to hide. And you cannot have intimacy when you're hiding. We have three core relationships, relationship with self, relationship with other people, relationship with God. And I want to talk about how sin prompts us to hide in all those relationships and how Christ calls us to come out of our hiding and into the light to be known and to enjoy deep relationship. So first is that sin causes me to want to hide from myself. Verse 7, then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. Adam and Eve's self-understanding changed. Prior to sin, how did they view themselves? They were innocent. They had no shame. There was no need to hide anything about themselves because they were good with, with the way they were. There was no shame. Now, remember the, the serpent, Satan had convinced them, oh, if you just eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you'll be like God, knowing good from evil. Life will be better if you disobey God. And, and life was changed, but it wasn't changed for the better. And all of a sudden, they see that there's something wrong with them. They've sinned. They are broken. And th what do they do? They try to hide. They immediately begin to cover themselves. We cannot be happy with ourselves. We can't be at peace with ourselves. We can't be content with who we are and have a healthy self-esteem unless we deal with our shame problem. You are a sinner. I am a sinner. Sin brings shame. And we will want to hide unless we can deal with this, the shame in our life. So, so how do we do that? Well, before we get to God's solution for dealing with the shame in our lives, let's talk about some, some other options that are offered to us. Uh, one is, one option is just take the sin label off your behavior. And the reasoning goes like this. You feel shameful because you are labeling what is really just sort of natural, healthy, normal behavior as, uh, 
as sinful. Take the label off. If you take the label off, stop calling it sin, you will not feel shame. And this is a strategy some employ. We'll just remove the labels uh, off our behavior and say that nothing is out of bounds. Everything is, uh, everything is lawful to us and then we won't feel shame. But does that work? No, it doesn't work because some behaviors are wrong. And those wrong behaviors have consequences that come with them. And of course, God can't be fooled either. And so we, we can take the label off, but we're still going to experience the consequences in our lives. Another option that doesn't work uh, is the option of playing the victim card. And this is what Adam and Eve did, big time, right? Uh, we say, okay, I did it, but it was, I, I was sort of forced to do it. Notice what Adam says. Adam says, it's Eve who gave it to me. And guess what? You, God, gave me Eve. So who's he blaming? He's blaming Eve and he's blaming God. And the implication is, hey, God, if you hadn't given me Eve, Eve wouldn't have tempted me. I wouldn't have sinned. So, okay, I ate. I'm the victim here. Uh, I'm not really responsible. And Eve does the same thing. She points the finger at the serpent. Finger pointing is, is definitely a tactic that we sometimes used to deal with the shame. And so we say it's other people's fault and we refuse to take responsibility. But that doesn't, that really doesn't help us either. It doesn't, we can try to deceive ourselves, but I don't think we truly do. It doesn't deal with the shame. Another way that people try to deal with shame is they say, okay, yes, I've done bad things, but I'm, I'm going to do better. And so I'm going to become a better person. And the idea is that, well, if your good works outweigh your bad, uh, as long as the scale is tipped a little bit toward the good side, then you can think of yourself as predominantly a good person. But the problem is you'll never be good enough. You're going to always continue to sin. You'll continue to have things in your life for which you are ashamed. And, but there's a better way. God has a solution for our shame. And the solution is to bring our sin to him and allow him to forgive it and cleanse it and take it, take it away as far as the east is from the west. We, we quote often 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. We confess our sins. He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a wonderful verse. But here's the prophet Isaiah. I like the way he puts it in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. And this is the beginning of his book, and he's been sent by God to rebellious Israel to call them back from their rebellion. And He's, and listen to the, the, to the promise that God offers. 
Come now, verse chapter 1, verse 18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you're willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. God is inviting them. Yes, you're sinner. Yes, you're sinners. Yes, you have done wrong. Your sins, they're like scarlet. They're like crimson, but I can, I can make you as white as snow. And in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul tells the Corinthians this. This is such a great truth. He says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ has reconciled us to himself and given us the ministry of reconciliation. And so here's, here's the reality. The reality is we can feel unashamed. We can feel free from our sin. We can be naked and unashamed again when we receive by faith the cleansing available to us in Christ. And we don't have to be like the ostrich and bury our head in the sand, and we don't have to point the finger, and we don't have to claim that it's not actually sin. We can just, we can be... Uh, very bold and say, what I did was wrong. That was sinful. That was shameful. But you know what? Jesus Christ has paid the full price for my deed, and I'm forgiven, and God has washed me clean. And do you know what? It actually honors God. It honors the work of Jesus Christ for us to live free of shame. And, and and that can be hard for us to, to really grasp and own because sometimes we think what I've done is, is so bad and it is, it, it's right for me to be uh, remorseful and it's right to me, for me to be continually pained about that and to, to actually walk in freedom and, and walk, uh, walk around as if, as if I'm made new. Doesn't that make light of my sin and what I've done? And actually... It doesn't. It makes, it makes uh, big the work of Christ. Because what you're saying is Christ's work is so complete and so uh, enough that, that I truly am forgiven. And we, do the, we, we have to live, walk in that by faith. And so, actually, isn't that wonderful that actually God wants us to be unashamed and that it honors him when we do that, not for false reasons, but for correct reasons. So sin makes me want to hide myself, hide from myself, but, but faith says this. So I have a faith affirmation here that I want you to read out with me. I'm going to read it first and ask you to agree in your heart, and then I'm going to ask you to say this out loud with me. But here's the faith affirmation. The faith affirmation is this. I honor Christ when I live free of shame, trusting his finished work on the cross 
for my ongoing forgiveness and cleansing. I honor Christ when I live free of shame. Nope, I'm not asking you to say it yet. We're going to get there. I'll say it again. I honor Christ when I live free of shame. What does that look like for you, to live free of shame? That what you've done that is shameful, because it's shameful, it's sin. Sin is shameful. You've done that. But, but you are trusting Christ's finished work on the cross as payment for that, and that you are forgiven, ongoing forgiveness and cleansing in your life. Okay, now, here we go, let's affirm this. Say it with me. I honor Christ when I live free of shame, trusting His finished work for my ongoing forgiveness and cleansing. So we can, we can be at peace with ourselves and, that's, and, and have a, a healthy image rooted in our, in our relationship with Christ, our union with Him. And that's a good thing. We don't have to, we don't have to, to be all um, knotted up with, uh, with self-loathing and other things. Number two, sin makes me want to hide from others. Second part of verse 7, And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They had been naked and unashamed, and now they're trying to hide from each other. And of course, the nakedness here is just a symbol. They're, they're not just trying to hide their physical nakedness. They're hiding everything about them that they believe is shameful. Prior to eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Eve never once looked at Adam and thought, he won't protect me. He might reject me. He might get angry and hit me. He might try to bully me. He might lie to me. He might cheat on me. She never once thought that about him. She never said, he, he might reject me. He might find me ugly. He might not want to talk to me. He might think I'm silly. Never, never had that thought. And so she had no reason to hide anything about herself. She was convinced that he could know her fully and love her truly. Adam never once thought, my wife might make a poor decision and cause me to sin. My, my wife might think my decision is bad. <laughs> Second guess me. Cheat on me. Lie to me. Harm me. And now all of a sudden, their eyes are open, right? Satan said, oh, it's going to be so good when your eyes are open and you know good from evil. And all of a sudden, they, they now can imagine all of the bad possibilities. You see the damage that does to their relationship? It's not just what I've done. It's what might he do to me. What might she do to me? And then what do we do? we begin to hide. We hide those things that we're ashamed about, those things that 
we think might be used against us? What if I reveal my weakness? What if I reveal my insecurity? What if I reveal that I'm, I'm unsure? Or my sinful desires or my, uh, my selfish ambitions? And there is so much hiding that begins as a result of sin. Tim Keller is famous for saying this. He's the pastor of uh, Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York. He's famous for saying this, to be loved but not known, it's comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved, that's our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, it's a lot like being loved by God. It's what we need more than everything that's been lost. That's been lost. Adam and Eve now despair of being truly known, uh, fully known and truly loved. And they begin to hide. And that is the state of human relationship from that point on. We sin. We, we feel shamed, shameful. And we want to hide our shame from other people. And so we begin to cover ourselves up. And we talk about it as people wearing masks and all kinds of things, right? We only let people see uh, the part of us that we want. We manage our image, all of it. We know this stuff. But here's the deal. You, intimacy cannot be had when you're hiding. If you want a deep relationship with somebody, a satisfying relationship with somebody, you've got to come out come out of hiding. You've got to let your real self be known. How do you do that? You're only going to do that if you believe that there will be it, that will be met with grace and mercy. Right? Mercy is you don't get what you do deserve and grace is you get what you don't deserve. And you're only going to to, you know, kind of take away the fig leaves if you believe that the other person is going to is not going to take advantage of you, not going to reject you, not going to hurt you, Bodo is going to respond with grace and mercy. And you know what? Christian people are in the best possible position to experience these kind of vulnerable, trusting relationships because we're armed with the gospel which is all about grace and mercy. And it starts with us coming to God with, with our real selves and taking ownership, you know, responsibility for our sin and then experiencing God's mercy and grace in our lives. And then when we become the recipients of grace and mercy, we're called to then turn around and relate to other people like that. And so the church is supposed to be a community where broken people can come in and take a chance and reveal a little bit of their, of their shamefulness and receive not rejection, not condemnation, not finger pointing, uh, not gossip, but they receive mercy and grace and love. And what does that do? Well, it, it, that feels great. And so it, it inspires a little bit more self-revelation. And if the if the 
cycle is the way it's meant to be, more and more of the leaves get taken off and the relationships can go, grow deeper and sweeter. And that's definitely the way it's supposed to be in Christian marriages and Christian friendships and in the church. And it honors the Lord when we go there and it's so much better when we do. The Apostle James talks a bit about this uh, type of a community in, in his letter. In James chapter 5, verse 14, we read this. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. So I want you to notice that in order to get healing, you have to first raise your hand and say, I need help. I'm, I'm sick, I'm broken, and I need, I need help. Verse 16, Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So the, the Christian community is to be a place where we confess our sins to one another so that we may be healed. What does that mean? It means that we need to be vulnerable. It means that we need to come out of hiding it means that we need to take down the fig leaves and bring our shame to the table. And so that's one part of it. The other part of it is that the, the, those Christians to, to, to whom we self-reveal, they pray for us, they apply the gospel, they give us mercy and grace, they don't reject us, they, they don't run from us, they step toward us. And that back and forth process leads to healing deeper relationships that are uh, transformative and uh, beautiful and, and a return to the garden. But how many, how many people in the world ever get there? How many Christians ever get there? What we see modeled around us are relationships that stay surfacey, where we're able to manage our images and where we're able to remain covered. And so they're activity-based friendships, right? Those kind of things. But if you have experienced a kind of a relationship where where the coverings have come off a bit and and people have applied the gospel it's sweet and it's rich and it's worth fighting for and sometimes you have to be the one who leads with some vulnerability and transparency and if you're married and you're not experiencing in this in your marriage ugh I've, that's sad. You need to press for this 
this kind of relationship in your marriage. So sin makes me want to hide from others, but we have a faith, we have a faith uh, affirmation here. I'm going to read it, and eventually I'll ask you to say it here. The faith affirmation is, I will resist the impulse to hide myself and instead pursue authentic friendships that extend Christ's mercy and grace. By the way, I should say by way of just practicality, you, don't, you need to be wise and prayerful with whom you take down, you know, take out, take off the fig leaves. Um, not everybody, not every Christian is ready for that. But there are Christians who are mature and can respond appropriately. So, I will resist the impulse to hide myself and instead pursue authentic friendships that extend Christ's mercy and grace. Ready? You want to say that with me? Here we go. I will resist the impulse to hide myself and instead pursue authentic friendships that extend Christ's mercy and grace. So sin makes us want to hide from ourselves. Sin makes us want to hide from others. And finally, sin makes us want to hide from God. Verse 9, but the, God, but the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Because I was naked. Remember, this is, this is just a symbol. It's bigger than nakedness. Because I am a sinner, because I disobeyed you. And now Adam had a right to be afraid, right? God had told him, don't eat of this tree, for the day in which you eat of it, you shall surely die. So he probably thought, the next time I see God, he's going to strike me dead. You know, the Old Testament uh, holds up as a virtue the fear of God. But it's a fear of God that is to cause us to respect him and take seriously his word. It's not the kind of fear that sh should make us run from the Lord and not want a relationship with him. And a place that I think this is pointed out very well is in Exodus chapter 20. And God has um, had a big thunder and lightning storm on top of Mount Sinai and the people are scared because God has just demonstrated his great power. And uh, so here's what we read. The people were in uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 18. Now, now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we'll listen. Don't let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear. For God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. Very interesting. Don't fear. Don't fear drawing near to the Lord, but fear sinning against him. The people, they didn't get it though. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. So yes, we are to fear the Lord, but not the kind of fear that makes us want to flee from him. Now, what would, uh, what would cause somebody 
who is sinful to be willing to come out of hiding when you know that your sin offends God and that the penalty of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. What would coax Adam out of his hiding? Now, at this point in the story, Adam and Eve don't know about God's compassion. They don't know about his mercy and grace. They haven't ever encountered that. They had no need to encounter that. But they're going to learn that God is a gracious and compassionate God. And it is when we come to understand that side of God's character, and only then do we feel that it's safe to come out of hiding. And so here's a scripture that is just so encouraging to the sinful person. Psalm 103, verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. And so the only reason a sinful person would be willing to come out of hiding is when they come to understand that God is gracious, merciful, compassionate, willing to forgive. And so I, it, it is totally reasonable, makes total sense to me, that sinful people who don't yet know the gospel are going to hide from the Lord. And they're going to deny their sinfulness, point the finger, not want to have anything to do with God. Because in their minds, God, God is going to bring down the hammer on me because that's what I deserve. But there's good news. The good news of the gospel. And the good news is actually your sins can be forgiven. You can encounter the mercy and the grace of the Lord in Jesus Christ. You can be reconciled to God to the point that he invites you to live with him forever in heaven. So only the promise of mercy and grace will coax us out of hiding. So here's our faith affirmation. Sin says, hide from God. Because he's going to destroy you. But the, here's the faith affirmation. I take responsibility for my sin, casting myself on God's promise that those who come to him in faith are never cast out. And that's the truth. If you come to God in faith, you won't be pushed out, cast aside. But we have to come out of hiding, right? We have to come out of hiding. We, as long as we uh, persist in our denial and say, it's not my fault, somebody else did it, I never did it, 
As long as we remain hiding in hiding, we cannot experience reconciliation with God. Any, any relate, healthy relationship demands that you come out into the light, you come out of hiding, and you come with your real self. If you bring a false self to a, a human relationship, are you being loved? Right? If you present a false you and somebody interacts with that false you, it's not, they're not having a relationship with the real you. You're not being loved. If you bring a false you to God, are you having a real relationship with God? No. You've got to bring the real you to God. And because he's merciful and gracious, the more real Mike I bring, the more I experience mercy and grace. And so I don't want to be in hiding. I, I, and the more I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, the psalmist says, right? And we need to bring the real us. And all of our sin and all of our shame... And we bring it to the Lord, and then we, we experience His mercy and grace, and we're healed. And so, you know, that doesn't stop it. I don't think it's limited. It, I don't, it shouldn't stop at a generic, for, you know, repentance of sin. I, the more we are specific and own our sin and, and acknowledge it before the Lord, the more we experience His, uh, his healing and forgiveness and cleansing in our lives. So, here we go. Affirm this with me if you would. I take responsibility for my sin, casting myself on God's promise that those who come to Him in faith are never cast out. So, sin damaged our relationships, all our relationships, relationship with self, with others, and with God. But when we apply the gospel to our relationships, we can get back a lot of the bliss of the garden. And that's the good news. And of course, that's coming in its fullness with the return of Christ. But even now, because we're empowered with the Holy Spirit and we have the glories of the gospel, we can step uh, heavily into restored relationships that are uh, naked and unashamed. And the more that we can... Uh, relate that way to ourselves and others and God, uh, the richer it is, the freer it is, the happier it is. Let's pray. Lord, at the same time that we grieve what was lost, we thank you for what, for the restoration that you offer us in Jesus. We thank you for the restoration that is available right now through the gospel, through the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to enter into joyful, authentic, vulnerable, truthful relationships. Lord, may, may we be the kind of people who extend mercy and grace. And Lord, would you prompt others to, to give that to us. May that characterize more and more our core relationships, Lord, for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.